Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts brought to you by the reinvented 2012 camry it's ready are you Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. Caroline, since it is the height of summer right now and folks are taken to the pools, mm -hmm. I thought it'd be a good time to talk about mermaids. Do you keep mermaids in your pool? I wish I had mermaids in my pool. Well, I wish I had a pool to begin with. I don't <laughs> actually have a pool. I have to bum pools off other people. I'm a pool scavenger. Mm -hmm. um, but while I don't keep mermaids in my pool, I did as a child play mermaid. I did at too. The pool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Were you good at that? Did you have like the, you know, the, the dolphin dive? And yeah, it really like just involved my butt sticking up above the water and the lifeguards laughing at me. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I how I swim now. Um, and it, it probably we probably played Mermaid a lot because the Little Mermaid was so popular. Yeah, um, growing up, I, and he actually the uh, the cartoon prince I think was one of my first crushes. Eric, oh, yeah, Eric was very handsome. Eric the prince for <laughs> for a two dimensional character. I've dated some two dimensional people though. So. <laughs> well, I think we should note that Hans Christian Andersen, of course, wrote the Little Mermaid. In 1836, but mermaid mythology goes back a long, long time. Yeah, uh, Pliny the Elder mm -hmm. in the first century AD, he, he was convinced that mermaids existed and he described them. And actually his text was one that people sort of relied on for hundreds of years. <laughs> 
Um, so then going f- uh, forward to the fifth century, there was a Greek work that I can't pronounce. Physiologus? Sure. That one. <laughs> Uh, it, it was all about animals. It was all encompassing and it was so all encompassing that it included fake ones. Like mermaids? Um, like the mermaid. Yeah. And, um, the description of mermaids starts out really good. Really, okay. really nice. Let's hear it. And it devolves. Uh, okay. Let's see. They described a mermaid as a beast of the sea, wonderfully shapen as a maid from the navel upward oh. and a fish from the navel downward. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's okay so far. Yeah. And then they say, and this beast is glad and merry in tempest and staid and heavy in fair weather. So, so, kind, of, so kind of moody. Mermaids yeah. are really moody. <laughs> Jerks. Jerks of the sea. Well, it's interesting because Professor Anthony Piccolo of Manhattanville College thinks that this mercurial mermaid nature might have been developed later by Christian writers. For instance, in the 13th century, we have a monk who wrote that while mermaids did charm sailors... They are also, and this is a quote, strong whores who led men astray. Dang. Well, it sounds like the sirens in mm-hmm. Homer's Odyssey. Even though the sirens are actually winged women of women of the sea, uh, we typically associate them with mermaids. Right. Luring men to their deaths. Yes, yes. Yeah, just blame it on the women. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You you wreck your ship? Yeah, just blame it on the women yeah. with the tails. Why not? And I thought this was an interesting tidbit as well, just to show how, how pervasive this mermaid mythology is. 1483, the Nuremberg Bible shows a mermaid and a mer-dog, I like that, a mer-dog. <laughs> Everybody likes pets. <laughs> swimming near Noah's Ark. Yeah, well, I guess they got left behind with the unicorns. <laughs> yeah. And the dinosaurs. The, oh, wait. <laughs> no, it's unicorns. Mermaid mythology is also very prevalent in African cultures as well. And some scholars think that this might have to do with ships in the 1500s coming over to Africa uh, with uh, the mermaids on their prowls, like statues of mermaids. And mm-hmm. maybe there was some kind of, you know, sort of mythology mix up that started to happen because there were always these water spirits among African um, mythology, such as the Mamiwata, which is one of the most powerful African water spirits. And she's often portrayed as a mermaid. So they wonder if maybe the water spirits somehow like evolved into these mermaid-like creatures. And then in the Caribbean, we get Lacerin, who's a mermaid water spirit, spirit as well. And then in Inuit lore, we have a Sedna, who is depicted as a mermaid. And Sedna has a really sad story. Basically, she's this squirrel who just got uh, had a really rough time, and her fingers and toes ended up being cut off. Her dad by her cut dad. them off. Yeah, at first her dad tried to like Come help on, her out, and then there was a rainstorm, and he was like, "Get out of my boat, Sedna! I'm gonna yeah, cut it, off your it fingers." It was kind of like the reverse of Titanic. Yeah, wow. <laughs> he was like throw, throwing her overboard. <laughs> um, so she lives in the sea and yeah her fingers became the whales and the seals that's kind of cute yeah (laughs) she must have had giant fingers very large ones (laughs) and then we have aboriginal tribes in australia who would speak of ancient water spirits called yok yoks that also look like mermaids so dotted around the globe how Mm -hmm. fascinating is this we have mermaids it's not just copenhagen the little mermaid stealing all the mermaid thunder no. No, no. We've got a lot of water legends. Yes. Yok mm-hmm. Yoks and Mommy Watas. Yeah. My next band name. So while all this mythology developed, there were also 
a lot of supposed mermaid sightings. Yeah, people like Christopher Columbus yes. uh, filled their heads with too many, too many fairy tales, maybe. <laughs> and also they were a little bit lonely on the ocean. And in 1493, around the time that Columbus bumped into what is now America, he uh, reported seeing three mermaids and he wrote, they're not as beautiful as they are represented, which is probably true when you take into account that what he saw were likely manatees. <laughs> yes. Hello, I'm a manatee. <laughs> yeah, no, I not beautiful. No. Maybe in their own way, beautiful. But- I mean, I would like to hug a manatee. Are you kidding? Yeah. But I hear that they smell... And they don't really look like, you know, the, if you think about Ariel, you know, with the seashell bra <laughs> and the flowing hair. Yeah, so we don't and know that manatees many years ago did not wear <laughs> seashells, but this is true. <laughs> oh, man, I've got some follow-up research to do when I get back to my be- desk after this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have in 1608, English explorer Henry Hudson sailing off the coast of Russia when he reported seeing a mermaid by his ship. And, oh, wait, but what do you know? Its tail was that of a porpoise. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would I would just assume that he was a drunk sailor. <laughs> um, but he actually got some backup, granted, you know, 200 years later. Um, by a biologist, P.H. Goss, who said the sailors were too experienced to have mistaken a seal or dolphin for a mermaid. So naturally, they had to be right. Could he be a drunk biologist, maybe? Absolutely. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> a, a sober biologist? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in the 1700s, Christian missionaries in Africa claimed that Angolans were catching and eating mermaids. But they weren't the only ones. You right. Guys- <laughs> in 1739, apparently mermaid meat is in high demand. Yeah. Uh, a Scottish publication reported that the crew of a ship sailing in the Caribbean ran low on supplies. And so to supplement their diets, they caught and ate mermaids and said that they tasted like veal. Really? Mm, I am hungry. <laughs> mermaids taste like veal. And we would, of course, be remiss to not mention the Fiji mermaid. This was probably the greatest hoax, mermaid hoax, ever carried out. And, of course, the guy behind it was none other than P.T. Barnum. What a huckster. Oh, huckster Barnum. This is in 1842. P.T. Barnum somehow gets his hands on what is the top half of a monkey and the tail of a fish sewn together. And it is gross. You can <laughs> seriously Google image Fiji mermaid, and it is Ooh, it's a nasty little creature. Well, apparently there were actually a lot of them, well, floating around, so to speak. Um, apparently a lot of people were making these. Mm-hmm. These fake um, mermaids. These fake mermaids and selling them to tourists and sailors. And so they just sort of got into the market. Somehow. Yeah, it was basically supposed to be like the archaeological remains of this haggard mermaid. <laughs> um, and it became this huge tourist attraction that he displayed at his museum in New York. But he used um, a great marketing tactic, which was to have a poster advertising these three gorgeous, very traditional uh, mermaids. Like, come come inside. Come <laughs> see these lovely dames of the sea. And then you go in, you pay your, your dime and nickel. You go and you see this haggard, this horrific mermaid with these snaggle teeth and claws. Ugh. Yeah. But people were still... Yeah, they paid money. I mean, what did they have to do back then? There were no podcasts. No. All they had were those pianos that played themselves. Right? (laughs) Yes. This is as good as it got. 
Um, <laughs> so we have all these, uh, these mermaid sites and there was even up in, I think it was reported in live science in 2009. Uh, supposedly there were some mermaid sightings in Israel. They still pop up. Every now and then, which I find pretty fascinating. People well, want to see. It's like people the Loch Ness still drink. Monster. <laughs> well, it's kind of like the Loch Ness yeah, Monster. We really, we want to believe in mermaids. I mean, you and I maybe wanted to when we were yeah. kicking our little butts up out of the pool. <laughs> our trying, little tinies. Trying to, to swim like mermaids. Um, we found some pretty great stories of real life mermaids. Mm-hmm. Like these are women who really identify with the mermaid life and have even gone to great lengths to uh, create fins with which to mer around. I <laughs> to did, mer around. I just, I just made up a verb. <laughs> to mer. Um, yeah, Hannah Fraser um, took some money that she got uh, when her grandmother passed mm-hmm. and had a mermaid tail made. And she uses it to, to dive to great depths, holds her breath for a long time. Um, but she also uses this image of herself that she's created as a mermaid to draw attention to ocean issues, such as dolphin hunting in Japan. Yeah. And she actually almost got killed by some fishermen. She claims that they tried to back up over her and some other people with their propellers. <laughs> I mean, it's tough out there for a mermaid. Yeah, Come man. On. Well, then there's also the story of Nadia Vesey, who had both legs amputated at a young age. But she was able to enlist this special effects team to build a high-tech mermaid tail that took them two years to construct. And now in her 50s, she still swims with, she's able to swim out in the in the water with this crazy mermaid tail. Yeah, and she says that adults seem more enchanted by it than children do. I wonder if just the kids are like, well, yeah, of course, mermaid. That's a mermaid. They exist. Christopher Columbus saw them, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what manatees. Uh, but Linda Walbert, if only for her prize-winning quote, which we will read you, I think is my favorite real life mermaid because she just she's into it. <laughs> yeah, Linda Wolbert actually she also uses her uh, mermaid alter ego to draw attention for uh, to a cause. She participates in Swim to Empower, which is a nonprofit that helps kids in the Bahamas learn to swim because they apparently have a really high drowning rate. Um, and so she said, the magic of having a mermaid do it, you know, bring attention to these issues. It's almost like a unicorn trotting up and saying. Would you like to learn how to ride horses? I mean, <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> unicorn. I I would like to ride on your back across a rainbow. Um, <laughs> Holding your glittery mane. <laughs> but one more incredible fact about Linda Walbert, she can hold her breath underwater for about five minutes. Yeah, and she basically insinuates that you're a wuss if you can't. Because she said, yeah, you, you know, you just have to get over that uncomfortable feeling of... <laughs> Of being able to breathe. Dying. Yeah. But the real life mermaids that we must talk about, and I wanted to save this for last because mm-hmm. I, you can't get any kitschier than Wikiwachi. Oh, yes. The home of mermaids in Wikiwachi, in Wikiwachi, that's hard to say really fast, in Wikiwachi, Florida. Um, I, I take it away, Caroline. I, I will. I'm speechless. Yeah, no, Newton Perry is a former Navy SEAL. So tough guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he started Wikiwachi Springs. He uh, apparently there were some some natural springs with a lot of junk, like people just tossed refrigerators in or whatever. Mm -hmm. He cleared it out. He put up a sign in the road that said, you know, Wikiwachi Springs. He hired some lovely bathing beauties and taught them how to breathe underwater using hoses. This is in 1946. He opens up the Wikiwachi. 
attraction. And it was a huge tourist attraction, especially in the 60s. They would perform eight shows a day to sell out crowds. And you can YouTube some great videos mm-hmm. of uh, vintage Wikiwachi mermaid shows because there there was one I saw of uh, the, the it was like a newsreel type of thing um, showing the beauties in training, the mermaids in training mm-hmm. and the narrator was like, look at the bathing beauties smiling <laughs> underwater. It's incredible. <laughs> um, and in, I think it was in 1961, even Elvis visited, but he was all like, why didn't you build this like in New York instead of down here in Florida? Well, there were no refrigerator springs. Yeah. Yeah. In New York, I guess. But sadly, I mean, Wikiwatchi has been through some tough times, as you can imagine, with things like, oh, I don't know, Cirque du Soleil and it's <laughs> underwater. Or just television. I mean, I don't know. I don't really want to drive to Florida. But no, I actually, in talking about this, I uncovered a repressed memory that I think my parents took me to Wikiwatchi when I was little. Really? Maybe because I feel like we went to Disney World, uh, for a little bit. For a weekend, and maybe on the way back we stopped there because I distinctly remember sitting in a in a theater that was built sort of below ground, up against this giant glass Mm -hmm. plate under the spring or whatever. And I remember being so disappointed that the mermaids had to breathe through water hoses. I thought, fakes, you phonies! Oh, you thought they should be able to just (laughs) yeah. And I I feel like someone even told me, you know, this is young Caroline, like six years old, that, oh, they're just, they're just practicing. They just need the hoses. If you come back next time, they won't use them. And you were like, there will be no next time. <laughs> You're, you know, this is, this is, no. Mm-mm. Mermaid hacks. <laughs> um, yeah, now, since I've been reading about all this mermaid stuff, I really want to watch Splash as soon as possible. Uh, done it. Don't need to do it again. I was really hoping to just not do any research for this podcast except watch watch Splash and just see how how it'd go. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have bad memories of that movie. Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah? I guess. I mean, I liked the mermaid aspect of it when I was a kid. Yeah. I don't think I need to see it again. Yeah, it was kind of, um, I, w- I was hoping to run across some kind of analysis, like feminist analysis mm-hmm. of mermaids, you know, because especially like, uh, because Ariel is a great example mm-hmm. of the impossible um, body proportions that Disney will, will give mm-hmm. their female She characters. also has a giant head. <laughs> She, with all that notice, hair, she does have a lot. Yeah, of hair. she's got her waist is like the size of a pencil, and then she's got this ginormous head <laughs> propped up on her shoulders. But Maybe no. she's actually just a manatee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. Oh, um, I'm a manatee. <laughs> so yeah, if you if you all know any mermaids out there, any Wikiwachi fans listening. I'd like to hear yeah. from you. And if anybody out there wants to defend mermaids against their whorish reputation, I'd yes. like to hear that too. Yes. R- write us in with all of your all of your mermaid thoughts. Um, we hope you enjoyed this uh, surprisingly robust mythology of mermaids. Yeah. It spans the globe. Who knew? Who knew? I did not know that. Mm-mm. And <laughs> now I do. <laughs> so anyway, if you would like to email us, our address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And in the meantime, I have just one email here to read today on our episode on whether women can be aggressive in dating. Ooh, let's hear it. So I've got a pretty detailed uh, story here on a woman who wants to be anonymous, who asked a guy out, and it just, it, it went wrong. 
So she says, I feel like women can't be aggressive in dating, especially in high school when there is so much stress put on social status, high school gossip, and keeping your ego and image intact. I thought that was a lot out of high school for me. Uh, there was this guy who I knew liked me and acted all confident around me when he was with his friends, but when it was just him, he got nervous and fidgety. So I finally approached him and talked to him directly, and then I did the worst thing you can do. I asked him if he'd like to hang out over Facebook message. Never ask someone to hang out over Facebook. I had no confidence and I sounded so awkward and pathetic. Anyway, when I mentioned it in person, he basically said, Oh yeah, I've been busy with football, but maybe when it's over, I'll get back to you. I was so mad that he pulled the whole, I'm such a cool jock that it's, that I'm busy being a hotshot and having girls love me from afar. <laughs> it was so horribly embarrassing that I ignored him in my classes for the rest of the year. But once I stopped talking to him and avoided him, he suddenly liked me again and started being the aggressor. But I had lost all interest in him because of the humiliation I suffered from wanting to hang out with him in the first place. It seems like guys start to like you once you stop liking them and completely stop trying. Hmm. It's it can be confusing, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so keep <laughs> keep the stories <laughs> of confusion and dating coming our way. It's mom stuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also head over to Facebook and say hello and leave a comment and follow us on Twitter if you'd like. We're at Mom Stuff Podcast. And then lastly, you can read our blog during the week. It's stuff Mom never told you at howstuffworks.com. <laughs> Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House of Work's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.